Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What's going on, everybody? This is the Helping Friendly Podcast on tour. Uh, we are back from tour. Some of us are. Some of us are en route. But um, many people are are back from tour. Um, we are going to do something, I think, that's going to be really awesome today. We're going to have four our four uh, sort of HF pod correspondents. Uh, we're going to do the live recap, and then we're also going to release this one as a podcast tomorrow on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this, that's why you hear all of us. Um Brian, Jonathan, Matt, how are you guys doing? Great. Doing great, great, man. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, I want to ask you first, because you have been couch touring all all tour, as has Brian, but I want to ask you first. What um, what do you thought about the tour so far, and how do you feel like they, they wrapped it up in AC yesterday? 
I think uh, embarrassment of riches is the correct term. They uh, they're coming in hot with a lot of micro jams that are really paying off, and I mean like these like sub eighteen minute, you know, fifteen minute jams that are not, you know, not what we were seeing at the beginning of tour, right, where we had the twenty five thirty minute to- jams. But uh, yeah, they're just. There's constructing set lists, I think, uh, really effectively, particularly these Atlantic City shows, I think, have been really, really good set lists. You guys will speak more to that, having been there, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I I think we're in a great place, and I'm excited to see where they are uh, after a little bit of rest and, you know, trip out west. Um, And, well, I guess, speaking of going out west, we should say that This is brought to you by our friends at Shift Genuine Cannabis based in Colorado. And we're going to see everybody at Dick's on September 5th. Is that the Sunday? September 5th? That sounds right. right? Yeah. Okay. The Sunday Um, show. The Sunday show. (laughs) We're going to, we are going to announce the winner of our contest. And to enter the contest, go to shiftcannabis.com. You can win two tickets to the 30th and 31st of October. Fish will be playing in Las Vegas. If you haven't heard, you can win tickets to that and airfare and accommodations. And um, that's that's why we're all here. Um, and Fish is going out west. And Brian's already out west. But um, some of us will be going out west to, to, to join Brian eventually. I was just writing up the, the review that I'm doing for Fishnet. And Almost all the songs, not almost all the songs, but a lot of the songs in the first set were like eight to nine minutes. And like Jonathan said, they kind of had this like, I I guess I would consider a lot of those little like micro jams in there. Um, Final Hurrah, Rogue, there's there's so many. Um, Did you did you notice that? And do you see that as anything different from the other shows you've seen this tour? Or is that pretty in line with with what you've heard? I think, yeah, in in the last couple of nights, um, definitely since Hershey, they they have moved away from the longer jams that were kind of happening earlier in the tour. Um, but there's, they're kind of working on the same sound that they've been building throughout the tour. And that's kind of permeating, all, you know, every little bit of the show last night was a great example of that because um, you had, for example, like the Mike song, which was very, very of the the new sound with lots of synths and Trey using his Jedi pedal and whatnot. Um, didn't feel like kind of like a casual throw off first set Mike's groove it was it, it felt really deep but if you look at it in the time or whatever it it, it didn't last that long um, same thing with Yem I mean Yem had a great jam and in it um, of very much of the style of this tour but um, didn't go super deep or anything they just kind of got right to the point um, so I don't know if that's a result of them kind of searching on the first part of the tour for what the, the sound was and how they were going to connect and then kind of locking in and knowing how to get there now um, but the one thing I will say is that um, don't misinterpret that to, to mean that the flow is not there because I think that's one thing that has improved as the tour has gone on and I think last night was kind of the capstone of that just start to finish the show felt really really uh great and there were no points when i thought that they were um there was like a lull or they were playing the wrong song for the minute or anything like that uh well i i think that uh i agree uh, with matt about the setless construction that's kind of what i was alluding to um that second set last night was just just a dream i mean it it flows beautifully the song selection is perfect for the location and uh i couldn't have asked for more. I'm agreeing with a lot of what you guys are saying. I think just like pointing out specifically um, 
the the second night of Hershey uh, strikes me as one of the strongest shows of the overall tour, and it speaks to a lot of what we're talking about here. Um, you have jams throughout it: the Haley's Comet, uh, the Wombat, the Ruby Waves, the Birds of a Feather. But you kind of hear the band consciously figuring out a way to either close a song out and move on to the next song that they want to play, which tends to be really well thought out from a setless construction standpoint, or kind of hold themselves back from potentially that next idea that would have gotten them to the final 10 minutes of the tweezer from Alpharetta or the final jam segment from the blaze on or the, the, the kind of craziness that we heard from the simple. And I don't say like holding themselves back in any sort of a negative way. I think that they're really consciously focused, at least from what I'm hearing and seeing on the screen on flow on continue to introduce songs into the repertoire continuing to debut songs and really focusing on like where does this song fit in the set list versus how far can this jam go so the last time we talked um about the the tour overall this was before um before the hershey and ac shows and uh i guess brian what's your uh what's what sticks out to you from the from the last i guess that's five shows right um what sticks out to you I've gone back and listened to the entire Hershey night to the August 11th. I believe it is show multiple times. Um, I love start to finish. You've got, you know, that mix of humor with you, sexy thing kind of dotted throughout. You've got that shocking jam out of Haley's comet. That is kind of like the white whale for so many fish fans at this point in time. Like, will they actually jam it? Oh my God, they did. And then it turns out to be great. Um, the segue there into lonely trip was one of my favorite moments of the entire tour. And I'd put it up there with the debut of evolve on the second night at Nashville. Um, but then I'd also, you know, in the same vein, Atlantic city night two, I thought flowed from moment one through, through the finale. Um, I think it kind of goes hand in hand with some of my favorite moments of this entire tour have been the ballads. And I think that they're really approaching slower songs with a lot of patience, with a lot of attention, and with a lot of emotion and you're hearing it in some of these shows that have big peak moments, but also really quiet, really kind of softer, special moments throughout. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, the, the, from Hershey and AC, the Haley's jam in particular was, was pretty fantastic. Um, and then last, I just think last night, this, as Jonathan was saying, the flow of the entire set, um, was just like perfect. Um, it was like you had that long, deep jam feeling without anything going like too, too far in that direction. Um, but you know, one of my favorite parts from last night was the, the sea of stars and the Piper segment. Um, where they really kind of did the slow build up Piper, but sea of stars out on the beach with the wind and the waves and everything was just like so perfect um and everybody in the crowd i mean it was kind of a rowdy crowd all weekend i would say um especially compared to other shows on the tour but that was one point where people really really chilled out i think brian that kind of speaks to what you're saying about them finding those delicate moments um that the drop in the lonely trip out of the haley's comet jam was another one of my absolute favorite moments like um it took until they actually started singing the song to realize what was going on because it just seemed like such a perfectly beautiful extension out of the the haley's jam um but i i mean i think it's i saw eight of the 14 shows on the tour um so more than half and i think it's 
fair to say that they just got better and better as the tour went on, um, which doesn't always happen. But I think in this case, they really brought it to a strong conclusion last night. It felt like a great um, summer summarization, uh, summarization of the uh, the entire tour. Jonathan, before you before you weigh in, I want to ask Matt a follow up question, which is how tired are you? <laughs> I'm actually not that tired. Um, I uh, a lot of shows. I, it was a lot of shows. We've, it was kind of, it's actually kind of bittersweet. I'm in this room at the, I'm still at the Jersey shore right now, uh, packing up. And I was just packing up this room that we've been coming and going from for the last couple of weeks. And it was like, I've got a bag over here from the Ryman auditorium where I bought a t-shirt a couple of weeks ago. And then over here, there's some like tickets from Hershey. And it's like, I was kind of packing the entire tour, uh, back up into, into the bag. But I will say to answer your question, I was very, very well behaved on this tour. So, um, uh, that definitely pays off in terms of not having not, uh, felt awful for, for the last two weeks, for sure. That's, that's what happens when you have a demanding job, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay <laughs> fresh. You just gotta stay here. fresh. Jonathan, what's your take? Uh, you know, the, I just I think I would echo what everybody else is saying. They've really dialed in what they're trying to do. They can still spend 15 minutes or whatever with like the birds of a feather the other night at Hershey, I think it was, you know, where they just get out there or they can, you know, do what they did in Chalk Dust on second night AC where it's Chalk Dust and suddenly if that is it's not chalk dust and then silkily just slide right into no quarter. I mean, they, they're, they're turning corners beautifully. And I, I'm just really excited about everything I'm listening to just about. I'm also excited. Um, I, I, I keep going. I mean, that Friday night Atlantic city second set was just for me, like the kind of the perfect set. Um, and I'm going to go back to that over and over. And it's 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 really um, fascinating to me. I talk about this a lot, and I probably shouldn't. But, like, the fishnet ratings for that Friday night show were 3.7. And I'm like, I felt like that was a that was a four point, you know, something show. Just just in just the the quality, the song, song choices, the jams, the segues, the way that it all fit together. I don't know. Maybe I'm am I wrong about that? That show. Do you guys think that's like. Does that show stick out to you? Or at least the second set? I, I, I want to actually turn this back to you with a, a kind of question about that show. Are you in the tweezer camp or the bathtub gin camp? Because I I think that is... Uh, I've seen other opinions out there on the internet talking about other songs from the show, show that second set. and uh, Some are not favorable, uh, I'll say. But uh, I, I, I found most interesting some people arguing that the bathtub gin jam was more interesting to hmm. them than the tweezer and i'm curious your thought well i mean you know maybe due to lack of imagination i'm always in the tweezer camp like you know <laughs> it's, it's, camp, it's where i live um yeah it's interesting because listening back to it it is sort of like a, and i guess a, a lot of the jams on sunday night were similar i think in that it was like i wouldn't say laid back i guess but it wasn't like super driving jams like they were that tweezer had like a lot of kind of quiet moments or at least like fishman never stops playing the drums so there's it's not like really like a quiet moment but um maybe maybe there was less imagination in that jam but you know a 20 plus minute tweezer that i'm that at a concert i'm at i'm i'm, all, I'm always all for that what about you matt it's in terms of tweezer versus gin 
Yeah. I I haven't re-listened to the set at all. So um just going off my memory, I would I would naturally go tweezer, um, just because that's also the the place where my brain lives most of the time. But um I do recall the uh the bathtub tub gin being pretty awesome as well. Um but I think that just goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's like not necessarily about specific jams, but just like the flow throughout the set. Um, you know, to give an example, like Hershey, a couple of the shows, I got to feel like um, I remember the Randall's Island third night, the Sunday night show from a handful of years ago where like they just played, like they jammed and they would get into songs, but it felt like they were just sort of stopping off on an Island briefly before just continuing off into the ocean and jamming. Like, you know, the, um, the songs are more of a pivot point to just kind of like refocus their energy rather than like, okay, here's the tweezer, here's the bathtub gin, here's, you know, this, it's just kind of like part of a, of a continuum for me at least. Yeah. I felt like you got that vibe that you're describing in Deer Creek night one, which I think unsurprisingly is why a lot of people uh, really like that show, you know, especially in that second set, it felt in a lot of ways, like they play a song, but the song was just kind of like a brief moment of, you know, stopping and then they'd go off and they'd continue to explore um that first night in atlantic city i i think that they're just in a really cool and interesting and new place with bathtub gin that they hadn't been in a long time um i, I seem to recall 2018 2019 we started to see the shift where bathtub gin would be played more in the second set and as a result it would be expanded on in a different way throughout most of 3.0 you'd hear a bathtub gin like mid to late set one and it was all it always led to that just like when you're at the show every bathtub gin sounds like the greatest song that you've ever heard and then you listen back and okay it, it sounds similar to the last time but you know it's it, they're playing it very well i feel like when they start it now they don't exactly know where the song is going to end up and they don't really have any intention of concluding the song and that's a cool thing um tweezer however like the way they exited the song portion of tweezer into the jam, just to kind of go back to a theme I was, I was spitting out a couple minutes ago, like the quiet moments of this tour have been what have really excited me the most. There was so much patience for like four or five minutes where it felt like Trey just, he would play a note and then he'd hold it and then maybe play a little riff and he'd hold onto that and just kind of like let the space build. I absolutely loved that aspect of the tweezer. You you touched on something um, how they they've uh, about landing ending songs and that's something that I've noticed a lot this tour and they've been doing it for past few years but this tour they've been very uh, successful at closing the song coming back to the song after a couple modulations birds of a feather I think is a perfect example they did it nicely with tweezer but I think tweezer is kind of easier although. I think it might also be more rare that they come back and do the little slow down ending on tweezer. Uh, they've been doing that a lot. And I really like that too. I, I feel like Trey is like very proud of himself when he brings it back from into the song at the end. Like if you watch li- like on, on the webcast yeah. or if you're the show, you can see he's like, he's, he's always smiling. Like I did it. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> well, I think it's a, a good accomplishment when they go out as far as they did on some of these tunes. Yeah, it's and true. They come back as uh, effortlessly. It sort of yeah. sounds that way. Obviously, they're working hard, but uh, no, they, yeah, they a really nice job of it. Yeah, for sure. I always think back structurally to 
late 2013 when um you know they debuted wingsuit and then they did the new year's eve run where they didn't cover a single song i feel like there was a turning point there where the band realized and like embraced their songs as like the heart like the the beating heart of the band and that you know jamming is a huge part of why we do this and you know, a lot of this conversation has centered around this jam was great this song was great or this jam was great but like at the heart of it, they're a song-based band who explores their songs. And I almost wonder if in some of the inspiration for returning to these songs at the conclusion is to, we played the song, then we expanded on it and saw where it could go, and now we're concluding it. And rather than just segueing it into another song, like this was the version of Tweezer that you heard here. It's not just a, a stopping point before a larger set. But can we talk a little bit more about last night, just because... Um, our our viewer Bobby said that last night's second set was a great example of a flow show, like one long jam. I feel like a lot of the shows recently have have been like that, and I guess I'm trying to put this into writing um, at the same time, which is really hard and and not something that anyone should try to do. But I feel like right now they're kind of like more balanced in the use of the new equipment and the new effects. Like at the beginning of the tour, it was pretty heavy especially with Trey, but also Paige. And now it's like the, some of those jams last night, like the, 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 the micro jams had a good balance of like, you know, Trey actually just playing guitar and then like him and Paige sort of getting into that, that um, spacey sound that they, that they're both, they've both been um, enjoying. And I'm just curious if like the long jams versus sort of shorter jams and the balance that they're finding now I guess the question is, is it actually, are they actually playing better when they're, when they're playing a bunch of, you know, eight to 10 minute jams as opposed to, you know, two 20 minute jams? Is there anything that, that correlates to like the quality of the improv or the comfort of the band or anything like that? Or is it just like, is that overthinking it? Yes. <laughs> I think like, you know, I, I was starting to say this earlier, you saw this kind of like on a macro scale before with, with like the difference between like late 1.0 and 2.0 and some of the, the really, really great 3.0 years. I'm thinking like 2012 to 2015 in particular, where people would say like, oh, they're not playing 30 minute long versions of this, that or the other before. But it was like, you know, th it would take them, you know, in the late 90s, 20 minutes to get to a place where like now in their sort of more mature years they could just get to right away without taking minutes of exploration to, to find a sound and i almost feel like we saw that on like a micro scale on this tour which is like they were looking for deliberate new sounds at this at the start of the tour needed to stretch out a lot to find those places think of like the deer creek simple which is very long and it eventually gets to the spacey place which you know, by the last couple of nights in AC, I feel like they were just kind of getting there pretty quickly out of chalk dust torture, out of drowned. Um, they just kind of know where they want to get to. And the, the, the flock of birds mentality helps them to get there a lot quicker than they were, uh, you know, even two weeks ago. They know where the buttons are, right? <laughs> it's literally, you know, a little bit of that, right? And knowing that, okay, well, from here I can punch this, this flex that pedal and here we are in that same space that we really like and Paige stands up and does the same thing um and it just feels more comfortable for them perhaps brian well it just it what matt is saying brings me right back to what i love so much about the second night of hershey where 
you have that incredible birds of a feather two or three songs later you get ruby waves and it's that second jam within a set where they play ruby waves and the song itself is all of like three and a half minutes long and there's no taking time to play a solo to try to find a jam there's just they're they're hooked up right away and if you look at the timestamp on it, it's a 15 minute version 16 minute version the jam you know is around 13 minutes of the entire track they just get right there and that's something that i think to matt's point took a lot of work from 09 to 12 that they were then able to really jump into and we're seeing this really interesting balance now where you know in later years of 3.0 kind of starting with the baker's dozen a 20 to 25 minute jam was almost to be expected within a show and you're hearing now where they can just they can do that they can get there they can throw out a 25 minute version of Karini and it can be good most of the way through and sometimes there are some great segments but if they focus and they play that within 15 16 minutes sometimes they get there faster and they may abandon an idea faster um but they're abandoning an idea because they don't necessarily think that they're hooking up in that moment one question about last night for you guys and, and Matt, I want to ask you because you were there also. Do you think that kind of post Karini or Set Your Soul Free that they were, did it feel like they were kind of trying to figure it out? Because I, I kind of felt like they were trying to figure out where to go next. And like the segues were cool and the and there were some some moments of improv in there. But it felt to me like until the first tube, it sort of was like a little bit of a searching set. Um, did it feel like that to you or did I think it's a fair statement, but I think it worked last night. Like I think the ultimately the song selections and the way they were executed really, really worked out well. Um, sometimes that doesn't work out as well. Like Hershey night one is a great example. We've seen that type of show a lot. Like they start out with 30 to 45 minutes of great jamming in the second set, but then it's just like, jukebox fish for you know an hour after that um and it, it didn't necessarily work that night but last night I, I think you're right they were trying to figure out how to stick the landing but i think they definitely stuck it um and i i didn't feel like the only thing that felt like it was maybe slightly out of place was that i felt like they could have ended the set after about to run um but i'm glad that they played first too because it was a really really great cap on the weekend yeah, Jonathan, what, watching at home, I mean, did you feel what? What did you feel about the second set last night? I felt like it flowed beautifully. I, time kind of. So I was uh, watching slash reading a book and listening slash just kind of enjoying the evening on the sofa and and time didn't really add up. I, I looked at the timings this morning, uh, you know, for the tracks, and I was like, "How was that simple? Only six and a half minutes long." I just remember existing in the simple solo segment for a while and beneath the sea of stars, it's eight minutes long, but you could have told me it was 20 and I wouldn't have doubted you, but I wouldn't complain either. Cause it's just, just a gorgeous space. Uh, the Piper, you know, Matt alluded to the slow, I would say slower than av average intro. You know, I did see Trey was tuning during that, um, so that's probably what's drew it out. I, I don't know. I just feel like he had a very deliberate, he by Trey, I mean, Trey had a very deliberate plan and they pretty comfortably rolled with it. It was, it was nice. A lot of bliss. Uh, in fact, we have a, a commenter here. Uh, Seth notes, uh, felt some moments of bliss last night that he hasn't felt in literally years. Um, and yeah, they were there. It was, I liked it. 
I, I'm curious. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts after you go back and, you know, really dive back in and listen again. I was just going to say, I think what, what you guys are describing with like the moment of flow, I, I really got that in the second night of uh, Atlantic city, the second set, I felt that the song selection was both surprising as it was, you know, very fitting for the overall mood of the set. There was kind of an evil nature to it. Um, obviously there's the, in very fish terms, the controversy around the sense and subtle sounds and what happened when they dropped out and when the chalk does torture. But I thought that like the chalk does torture turned into a really interesting jam and reminded me of a lot of, um, there, there's a version from July 30th, 2003 at Camden that just, goes off on the rails and no longer sounds like chalk dust torture and all happens within 10 minutes. And I chalk dust torture is such an interesting song within fish history where you can look at the first 10 years of its existence and it's just a rock song. And then it becomes a jam song and then it goes back to being a rock song. And then it's somewhere in between at all these times. And the way it went into no quarter, just like talk about seventies arena rock dreams for these guys. Like that, that was such a huge moment, but that set to me, of the the Atlantic City weekend, that was the perfect set that I'll go back and I'll listen to over and over again. Good point, Brian, about the uh, the sense um, and the you know the way that it was executed on Saturday night, um, which basically set up last night what happened with the sense intro and the beautiful segue into MoMA um, that was like so well executed. Um, it was, it, which reminds me, you know, somebody was making a point to me last night. Um, we should really talk about John Fishman's drumming because for me, he has been like probably the superstar of the entire tour. Um, he is just a machine right now. And um, I think that his, the tightness of his playing and how well he is um, just has his body kind of moving and how, how well he knows everything right now um, has led to so many of these smooth transitions that we've seen into different, ways he's he's able to steer the band a lot and i think about um rj we talked about this a lot after the second night of nashville where he they, they did mr completely and he just kept throwing the mr completely beat back in but every single time he did it it was like he pivoted the entire band from whatever they were doing back into this magical Mr. Completely space. And then he'd go right back into whatever they were doing, just seamlessly guiding them in and out of these different places. Um, and, and I'd heard a lot of that in the last couple of nights in Atlantic city. So he's, he's definitely my MVP for the tour. I just want to add to that. There's a new shot on the webcast that is like my favorite shot in all of their webcasts where they have this like drone camera that goes behind the stage and rises up jonathan you probably know what i'm talking about because you yeah. and i have probably webcast the most shows on this tour um but you can see like the first 20 rows of the crowd and it gives you this great perspective of how much the band sees and how engaged they are with the crowd kind of from the start of the show but it's such a great window into what you're talking about matt of just john fishman's arms and how his body is moving and no matter what is happening during a show or during a song he's adding fills and he's adding ideas that like, when you go back and just listen to him, it adds so much to all of these performances. That, you know, that brings up something else that I wanted to ask you guys. I mean, genuinely, cause I haven't seen any of the webcasts from this tour. And obviously the last couple of nights um, in particular, I was there was not watching, but I could see like several drones in the air above us. Um, were they getting some really cool shots of like the, the size of the crowd, the magnitude of yeah. the event, because being in it, I'll tell you what I was, maybe this is just naive of me. I was very, very surprised at how many people were on the beach the last couple of nights um, because it was, um, 
it was pretty, you know, it was pretty crazy. They sold a lot of tickets to those things. And yeah, the drone shots over the audience were very cool and, uh, you know, quite different. We haven't seen that uh, on any of the other webcasts that I can recall. Uh, but it was, it was very cool. They flew it out a little bit over the water and yeah, it was cool. When the fireworks were going off, you could see the fireworks and then you could see the stage and the setup. And there was a nice shot last night during sense that went up there where like, you could see the sunset happening. It was the, the, there's, there's a new approach to a couple of the camera angles and they're, they're quite nice for this tour. I just wanted to step back towards the, uh, sense and subtle sounds controversy, if you will, uh, you know, fish net, fish.net may have a reckoning coming where even on their lyrics page, they clearly recognize that Sense and Subtle Sounds intro is a different song, but they combine it and they have both the intro and the main song on the same thing. So they're going to have to deal with that. But I thought it was interesting that when they played the intro, uh, Matt, you talked about the beautiful segue into MoMA dance. Well, you know, the final line from the intro is you'll find the moment never ends. And then they played the MoMA dance which um, I guess has a different perspective because the moment maybe does end. Um, anyways, I thought that was clever of fish and I know they did that on purpose because they always do all of those things on purpose. Don't they? Well, I saw it. I saw a Facebook post that someone captured where I think it was from the day before who said that they should do exactly that. And then they did it, which is kind of wild because of those lyrical connections. Um, so can we talk about this incredibly controversial 24 minute encore last night? Cause you know, I, for one, am pissed. Um, <laughs> Matt, I didn't think I, I had no idea what was coming, Matt. I don't know if, if you had any sense, but I, I didn't, I didn't know if we were going to get like, I just couldn't think of any more songs that they could play. Um, so I was like, I don't really know what was going to happen in the encore. If it was just going to be like a, you know, shine a light or something. Um, but it was, it was, it was pretty huge. I mean, what was controversial about the encore? It was awesome. There, there should be nothing that was controversial about that. They played Fluffhead. They executed it extremely well, raged the hell out of the end of it, and then played probably like one of the greatest versions of Backwards Down the Number Line ever uh, that was like so unbelievably celebratory on the beach. Um, uh, you know, everybody was just kind of like – I, I around me at least seemed was very, very moved at this kind of celebration of us all being back together and seeing friends. I was seeing fish shows with friends that I may or may not have seen in a long time. Um, even the friends that I have seen in the last 18 months, like we haven't been at fish shows. We weren't doing this stuff. We were with our kids. We were doing whatever. I mean, just to have that experience, I think was a perfect encapsulation of the, the entire thing. So who, who has, who has bad opinions about the encore? Send them to me. Everybody mm -hmm. doesn't like it. That's who. Nobody, but I'm glad you said that, so I didn't have to say any of that. Um, but I completely is there, agree. Is there? Is there? Here's what I want to know: Is there a single person who was actually at the show who didn't like the encore, or were these people sitting on the couch going like, "I don't like Number Line. It's a lame thong," and not actually being <laughs> at the fish show, enjoying the experience? So right. That's a really good point. I, I, I've, I've only sat behind the band once. It was a chocolate night at, at the Baker's Dozen, and they play probably my favorite number line I've ever seen live. Uh, it's like eight or nine minutes, all stays within the pocket of the song, but it just, it's, it just rages the whole way. And I had a perfect view of the entire floor at MSG, and I was just sitting there going, 
Every one of you loves this song. There's not a single person with their arms crossed. Like, no wonder the band plays this song over and over and over again. You're all showcasing to them that you love it as well. So I, I've never seen at a show someone upset about Numberline. And I thought symbolically having Fluffhead and Numberline close out the 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 encore of the first run of the the first leg of the tour of 3.0, or excuse me, 4.0 was very symbolic. It threw me back to uh, Hampton 09, they open the show with Fluffhead. They open the second set with Numberline. These two songs have incredibly deep meanings for the band for various reasons, for very different reasons. We clearly don't have Fish 3.0 with Backwards on the Numberline. I thought it was from a symbolic standpoint and then in addition from a playing standpoint, it was a very fitting and emotional encore. Yeah, I'd like to, um, I think, you know, what you're reading makes sense. It, it, it's awesome that it throws you back to that. Whenever I hear number line, I, I think back to when I first heard the song, which was the fall classic tab tour from 2008, right after Hampton had been announced, we were in Richmond and Trey was talking about wanting to drive down the road and camp out until the, the Hampton shows and they played number line and it was glorious. It was absolutely just ecstatic fun. I, I, I loved it. So, uh, and I love the song and uh, yeah, everybody just forward tweets to Matt. If you uh, see haters, he, he'll, he'll take them out. I mean, yeah, exactly what Matt said is how I felt about it. I, I was, I was masked, but I, I, I think probably like 10 of the people that I was with, we like had in, you know, serious embraces during number line because it was, it, it's kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to write this as we speak and it's, it's just like, it's kind of what it's all about um, at the end of the day. So it was it was what a great way to end this this leg of the tour. Um, and now we have 11 days or so to listen and debate these things. And um, it's going to be fun. Um, Brian, should we go back and do what we've been doing in the, the weekly podcast and do the, the jam of the week from the last week? Do we have is that a is that a group consensus? I think we can vote on it here live and we'll we'll go. Perfect. With it. Perfect. What, what's your boxing su- gloves? What, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what's your what's your submission? My submission is the Atlantic City Ghost. Uh, everything we've been talking about about packing all these ideas into a short period in time. It was to me the most interesting ghost since Nashville 2018. Uh, I absolutely loved it. And actually, as I'm saying that, I'm wrong. It's since Dick's 2019. So excuse that. I'll edit that out. But uh, yeah, I love the Atlantic City Ghost. Jonathan, uh, I'm probably going to just go with Brian on that, but I, I would make a case for the birds of the feather for, from, was it Hershey that that was outstanding, but I really love what they did with that ghost. So I'm going there. Matt. The, yeah. The ghost was good and unique. Um, I have to go with the Haley's comment from Hershey for a number of reasons. Just, um, this, this, I, I, I love that song. Uh, some of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while know that my daughter's named Haley. So um, that's always a special song, especially when my wife is at the show with me, which she was that night. And I was looking like very, very intently at Trey 
uh, as they were getting to the end of the song. And I was just kind of like sending him mental messages, like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then it kind of kept going. And I was like, whoa, all right, this is great. It's happening. It's happening. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I influenced the band or anything like that, but it was one of those, like, you're like, all right, I want them to do this. And they do it. And it was, it was amazing. And the jam was just fantastic too. So. RJ, are you going to split the decision here? What, where are you going to go? Are you going to say, oh man, what? No, I, I just, I, I want it to be, I want us all to be friends. So I'll just agree with all you guys <laughs> today. All my friends, you know, um, I will say that of the past week, a couple of my favorite moments that, that were mentioned, the, the bird, the end of birds of a feather and a bug is just like, you remember that 46 days into bug from Meriwether several years ago, oh, yeah. dropping into bug after a, a, a huge jam is just, it's gotta be one of the most beautiful fish moments. Um, Friday night, Atlantic City, like three of my favorite, three of my five probably favorite songs to hear live, Tweezer, Hood, and More. I, I love More so much. And I got all three of those in, in one set. That was like pretty special to me. But that ghost is cool. And, and you know, worth saying that that's like 11 minutes, you know, and, and we're right. kind of pointing it out as, a, as, as the standout. So um, this is fun, guys. Maybe we should, we should keep doing this podcast. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know if it'll catch on. I, w- I want to give a shout out to uh, Christian in the chat there with the uh, nomination for No Man's and Soul Planet, that 30-minute combo. Uh, that is some great stuff. That is great stuff and uh, well worth a mention. Um, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we are going to be back, I guess, for for Gorge, but... Um, We'll be back on on the podcast before then. Subscribe to the Helping Friendly Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, leave us reviews and tell people that, that you like what we're doing. Um, and thank you to Shift Genuine Cannabis. Enter the Vegas contest, shiftcannabis.com. Um, join, us, join us in Vegas. It'd be fun. Some people are going to win some stuff. And now we want to tell you a little bit more about our partners at Shift Genuine Cannabis. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hey folks, it's Jonathan again. I am here with Ryan, and Ryan is getting over AC and all of these shows. He's just completed this first leg with the Fish Band. And Ryan, how are you doing out there? Uh, got all my fingers and toes, man, but we're doing well. <laughs> cool. 
Uh, I understand you had some uh, uh, vehicle trouble midway through this, but you didn't miss any shows, right? Right. Uh, we had stopped over in uh, Philadelphia after Hershey for, you know, a night of uh, more Philly cheesesteak sandwiches and seeing some sights. <laughs> and uh, upon leaving the parking garage, uh, you know, there was the warning light that popped up, and I'd never seen a battery warning light. So, and, you know, not trying to panic too hard, took the vehicle to the nearest uh, mechanic that was uh, within reason. And uh, an hour later, they told me there was going to be an alternator. So with that, I was like, all right, car's parked. Uh, find another way to get to AC. Luckily, a friend of mine that had chose to drive out for two nights of Deer Creek and two nights of Hershey, we talked him into going to the first night of AC. And then uh, he was able to still be in town when the car broke down. So we were uh, on our way, on our way with a uh, with an extra friend in tow and got all the way to AC just in time for that uh, first set on Friday. Cool, cool, cool. Well, I want to talk about that, but let's back up a little bit because, of course, we've got Hershey to talk about. Um, it's been a it's been quite a week. So uh, tell me about your visit to Hershey Park. The uh, the weather, of course, was an interesting debacle to get through, you know, both nights, but it definitely cooled down uh, the the area of Hershey and it made the set list really enjoyable, I think. Um, it's a it's a beautiful place. It seems like it's kind of like an old uh, high school football venue, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, it was no problems getting through the doors. I understand that, you know, maybe security was lax come second set because there was rumors about people that were able to walk through for set two, not have any tickets in hand and no security hassles. But, uh, I thought it was a good, thought it was a good time, man. I had an excellent time that, uh, the first tubes was a heck of a way to start. Yeah. And, uh, solid Fuego. I want to say they struggled with it the first time we saw Fuego, uh, this tour. And at this point they've got it down and, uh, played a nice version. Um, and a fast llama in that set as well. You mentioned football stadium. It jumped into my brain. I believe the first time Fish played Hershey was twelve one ninety five. Well, I know that's the for a fact because I was there. But I believe there was a football game going on in the stadium that evening when I when we arrived for the show. No kidding. Yeah, crazy. Um, but anyways, back to <laughs> back to twenty twenty one. Yeah. Any, any yeah. other thoughts you want to cover on that uh, on that first show? I like to see the fast llama back. You know, it's never, you know, a guarantee that when you hear a llama, it will be fast or slow any longer, including, you know, this week of shows. But uh, they had some fun. You know, that Sugar Shack was, you know, a nod to Hershey, the llama, the death don't hurt very long. They really got into that. And uh, I was dancing my legs off come that antelope, man. It was a good good first set. Yeah, definitely. And um, second set had the No Men and No Man's Land and Soul Planet in ICU combo to open it up. And uh, there was some good jamming in that. Yeah, I I really did like the, the No Man's, you know, with the addition of the, the Swamp Pedals and the Space Jam themes of 2021, it really gets out there again. And uh, the Soul Planet and the NICU, I, I see it's got a, a segue with a line here, so I remember that it, it kind of caught me off guard, but they, they picked it up and, and kept nailing it. Um, I like this at Scent of the Mule. It, it may have been a, a nod to the poster that Deer Creek had with the aliens come over the cornfield. But, uh, yeah, the, uh, the song selection after that wasn't too shabby. The, the Golden Age was, was good. Lizards is always fun. Character Zero is a good way to end it. And Rock and Roll is, you know, another great way to end it with an encore. So I had a good time. I, the, the, the slowness of Caspian number line, but, you know, it's, uh, 
it is what it is, man. It's it's a fun, grooving time. Sometimes you get in there and shake your legs a little harder than you want to, and you got to chill it down with those uh with those nice e- easy ballads. Yeah, you know, and Numberline, it's not exactly a slow song. They kind of rave that up. We talked a good bit about uh, Numberline on the uh, the other segment, but uh, mostly about the AC version. Uh, but that's getting ahead of us. Uh, yeah, next night they opened with You Sexy Thing and kept revisiting it through the whole show. But a nice, like, funky kind of opening segment between that and Wombat. And uh, Talk to me about that show. Uh, I haven't spent as much time with the Lonely Trip album as I should, but uh, yeah, the uh, it seems like now that you know the the Alpharetta show from nineteen when they did the You Sexy thing, it's kind of like a a throwback that if if you will that if they play the You Sexy thing, you're probably going to hear a little bit more about it all the way through the show. The Wombat was kicking uh, free, and the uh, song I heard the Ocean sing was also fun. Oh, the the stretched out Haley's was good, oh, yeah. and uh, a Meet Maze Meet Maze combo to end it was awesome and. I thought Maze would have ended that one set in Deer Creek was at night two, but it didn't. But here it was a solid, solid end of the set. Yeah, it really was. Then set two, theme opener into a big birds of a feather. Big birds of a feather that I've already talked about. So I, I want I want to hear your thoughts on it. Once again, that was one of those ones that I didn't realize how long it was until I look back and see the, the, the numbers on it. But I was once again dancing my feet off and actually i'll tell you the truth because of the rain i sat these two shows out taping and uh just you know had a great time moving around the venue and and shaking my bones That's so the, the the theme the theme birds party time waves chalked us that had to be grooving hard yeah uh, ruby waves got out there a little bit and yeah i love it when you get to the next day or whenever you get to see some timings after you've been jamming out at a show and find out wow that was that long or conversely you know that was that short uh that's right. always a good feeling yeah it was, it was an incredible feeling just to be there and and moving and grooving and them taking birds for a, a flight if you will <laughs> love it yeah that was still you know definitely one of my highlights of the week is that birds of a feather um and then uh so we talked about getting to atlantic city you made it in time for that first show cars trucks buses what a great opener yeah, that was actually something we were talking about in the in the vehicle getting there. It's like, you know, we, I think Cars, Trucks, Buses is one of those songs that is really fun and is not played nearly, maybe as often as it could be. But, you know, getting to Atlantic City alone was like any way possible, you know, Cars, Trucks, or Buses. And I did, you know, in my travels, I've at least taken two of those things this weekend. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, good, better to stay out of trucks, I guess. Uh, the mileage isn't great. <laughs> right. I. I did. I did consider renting a U-Haul because it was across the street from the dealership when I had to drop off the car. But <laughs> luckily, my friend came through and avoided that one. Yeah, you know, I think. Um, well, that would have been a good story either way. So I'm glad you made it out there. <laughs> uh, and yeah, we got a bag where they talking about put them on the put them on a beach or put them in the sand. I don't remember. Put them on a beach and let them fight it out. And uh, good. Yep. And then Blazon had the uh, "We'll be dancing on the beach." Yep, and then uh, and of course Trey couldn't even hold out for more for a whole set. He had to get to sand, you know, right there at the end of set one. Right, and the one thing I've noticed about these AC shows is that they've you know ticket times to seven, and we kind of expect it's always seven thirty, but they were starting right around eight. And from what I understand, reading other reviews, is uh you know because it's waiting so late, there's no house lights to go down. It's just Caro to come up with the lights, and then it's done. But that was like a it was a quick 60 minutes, like 8.04 to 9.07, and before you know it, we were like, okay, well, 
you know, you should come back on by like 9.30 and be done by 11. But these shows, all of them stretched out over the 11 o'clock hour, which I thought that was kind of like the curfew. But I guess I'm wrong there. Uh, well, fish, uh, fish has some pull, I guess. Um, so we have, to, <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about this tweezer, I guess, right? Yeah, man. Big, big, funky, dropping, dropping some bombs left and right. It was incredible. Once and once again, because of the car trouble, I didn't get the opportunity to tape these shows. So I found my feet in the sand with my with my buddies and friends. We visited the ocean for a while and then come out and then, you know, had the hour and a half wait in line for a drink and a forty five minute wait in line for a bathroom. So it was trying to time the, between the tweezer and the set breaks. You know, you never you're never gonna get hit at all, but you hope to not be in that bathroom line when the tweezer jam stretches out. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, it's a risk. That's that's why I dehydrate for days before every fish show. Um, <laughs> no, I do not. Um, but yeah, and that long tweezer into bathtub gin, into everything's right, into possum. I mean, that whole set just kept going. Um, pretty good stuff and a lot of fun. And uh, I I thought sure when just from listen you know listening at home, I thought sure that Harry Hood was going to do it, but then they played more. Yeah. And, uh, Same here. I, I mean, the 2001 Rise Together Harry Hood was a another solid set of, you know, 20, 30 plus music. But to end it with more and then followed by Loving Cup, it's like they want they're loving to be there on the beach. I mean, yeah. when I was talking with other people or reading an article, I guess I didn't realize that Pink is the only other artist to ever play this beach setup. And so having them do it three days in a row, I was like, wow, there there is some pull there. Yeah. Yeah. They've got some going on and they uh uh, they they kept it up the next couple nights. Um, let's uh, yeah, let's talk about night two a little bit. Uh, slow llama opener, uh, soul shakedown party, uh, great split open and melt. Uh, tell me about your highlights though from this show. Uh, that grooving the, the 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 first set was all grooving, wasn't it? It was just it was it was slowed down, funky. Yeah. Uh, timing was great. It fought, trying to find your feet in the sand was another fun, fun problem to have. Uh, I like, you know, it re Reba's always fun to see in a big crowd. Uh, the melt got out there and then, you know, the coil to follow it along with, uh, the fish merch being sold with analogies and t-shirts of a devil catching a raise on the beach. So another, another fitting song to end the first set with. Yeah. Those are designed by a guy I've had on my podcast, uh, Daryl Norton, uh, who is a great, great designer. And the set two had probably my favorite jam of the past week, which is actually the ghost. The nice long drowned uh, into a really cool, not extended, really, but a cool ghost jam into sense and subtle sounds. Any any highlight you want to call out from this one? I too enjoyed the drowned. Uh, the ghost kind of caught me off guard just because they seemed it's like. I don't know if I, you've been keeping track, but there's certain songs they played three, maybe four times in the total of the. 14 shows yep. and I was just surprised to see it again but it was it was a good jam the sense I was expecting it to a little bit just because it hadn't been there uh but and, and it's not even really like a water song but uh the <laughs> chalk dust jam into no quarter kind of caught me off guard I was waiting for them to end with that epic you know close out the chalk dust I even got my phone out and started recording I was like wait this is getting weird and then my friend said that they had been teasing no quarter all spray or all summer I hadn't heard it yet but he did so uh, seeing the no quarter, the slave, and the Susie—that was a—that's a great capper too, right there. Yeah, the Susie drop after the beautiful slave was 
hot and a lot of fun. And then they uh, tweezer reprise to cap the the encore after Life Beyond the Dream. Just a, you know, they did not want anybody going back to their hotel disappointed that night. I think. Right. We normally expect that tweezer reprise on the end of a run. So seeing it after that, even you know, Life Beyond a Dream is kind of a slower, slower ballad. But having that tweezer reprise cap it off was very very nice. You know, ending Saturday. Saturday specials in a, in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's wrap up this leg and talk about night three last night in Atlantic city. Um, I, I tweeted it last night. I'm going to say it right here. They opened with the landlady and that was probably the only song they've played so far this tour that genuinely made me like upset that I wasn't there. Like I, I've enjoyed oh, all of the other jams and I, and I'm happy for everybody getting all of these other jams and great performances. Uh, but you know, I want to see the landlady. Damn it. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's it been? Uh, three, three landladies since they brought it out at Dick's about four or five years ago now. Yeah. And I've, I've been seeing fish since 94 and never caught proper landlady. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get you one yet. Eventually. So yeah, tell me tell me what you thought about this show. Uh, so Saturday night after the fish was done, obviously there was a string of uh, late night shows, and the uh, caused my Saturday night to go later than expected. But had a great day on the beach, followed by actually being able to catch a little bit of that sound check jam, where Trey was just up there riffing about songs he had written about the ocean and being on the beach and being on the Atlantic City beach. And there is no beach like Atlantic City. So that was just fun to kind of hear going into it. Uh, the Big Mama Dance. I always like the final hurrah, which I didn't realize sounds a lot like the Blaze On intro. But right. I also like the fact that Mike's Groove is not a set closer this tour. I mean, having it be a middle set thing is a nice change. Yeah, I agree with that. I, it, it was cool to hear them go into it there and know that, you know, we had a lot ahead of us still. So, yeah. The, right. And it was a nice nice performance. They uh, did I Am Hydrogen, uh, which it's about time. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, and then, you know, we got our one game song there, the sloth, the, the Roger, if you will, and a, a solid yem to close out the first set. Yeah. Um, great, great set. But let's get into this second set because, uh, to me, this second set was just about perfect. And by just about, that's just me understating. I, I honestly think this was a fairly perfect set and encore. Uh, did you did you love it as much as I? Uh, I will tell you that I, I kind of caught a little bit of a breeze uh, coming out of this second set. I thought the Carini second set opener is another great way to start it. Um, I, and I really enjoy Set Your Soul Free, too. It's my first time seeing Beneath the Seas of Stars, and that was a nice nice lead into the slow build Piper with the quote back into the Carini again was awesome. The Waves is super fitting. Uh, Simple got everybody rocking again. About to run brought Trey out to shred right before he put it in the first tube. And then hearing his, uh, you know, his thank yous for a well, well-placed weekend, uh, here comes Fluffhead in the encore slot. And I didn't expect to see anything after that. So seeing backwards down the number line was like, okay, okay, I could, I can get behind this. Yeah, it's like an excess of gravy, but really delicious gravy. So, um, man, yeah, the fluffhead is great, and what a wonderful number line. Again, it, we we talked a good bit about that on the previous segment, so I won't I won't run down it. Also, pretty cool that they opened this week these five shows with first tube, yep. and they closed set two with first tube. Um, 
you know, so you get to see it in both of those spots and it just kind of caps the whole thing out. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't catch that before, but you're absolutely right. And beneath the sea of stars, I mean, just how perfect playing it right there on the water. Um, seems like the weather held up for you while you were there. Yeah, it was great, man. And I, I guess the only takeaway that I have from like watching the show is, uh, we thought the lights were pretty slim on night three. And I don't know if that's because like there was like a helicopter, uh, tour that set off from the I can't remember the name it's the steel pier or something and then it would do a lap of the boardwalk and then come back drop off do a lap of the boardwalk come back and drop off so I don't know if Corota's lights like got in the way for him but it seemed like the lights had definitely toned down quite a bit on most of the night three um but other than that man it was it was great oh they looked pretty good on the stream on night three but you know they definitely do not look the same from home as they do when you're in the room or uh, at the show. So I can't, I can't c- contradict that at all. And I took the viewpoint of uh, we, we stood way in the back the last two nights just to, you know, avoid the problems with getting into the bathrooms uh, fairly easy and uh, having, you know, as much space as we wanted. So having a, having a wide shot of everything going on. I paid more attention to those big screens than I did really to the stage, but uh, it was, it was an, it was a great time, man. AC is something to do once, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Ryan, uh, this has been a lot of fun. This leg, uh, I wish you safe travels. I assume you're going home now for, for a breath. That is correct, sir. I'm going to go catch a breath and maybe, uh, some extra sleep and a, and a comfy my own bed right <laughs> yeah right all right well you and i will be in touch and uh everybody else stay safe out there and enjoy your break you stay safe on your travels ryan thank you very much for checking in with us thank you jonathan Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. 
For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others. Photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com, and I'll see you there.